0: This is guns and butter.
1: There's there
2: the fireproofing upgrades were very coincidentally similar. They matched up almost exactly to the areas of impact failure and fire on 9-11. So of 110 floors in the North Tower, for example, only eight of those floors had been updated fully for fireproofing. Now, those were the exact eight floors where the plane hit and where the fire occurred and where the failure was said to have uh, initiated.
0: I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Kevin Ryan. Today's show, Another 19, Part 5. Kevin Ryan was site manager for a division of Underwriters Laboratories, or UL. As a manager at Underwriters, he began in 2003 to question the World Trade Center investigation being conducted by UL and the U.S. National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, and UL's work to ensure the fire resistance of the buildings. Ryan lost his position at UL for making his questions public. He was a founding member of the 9-11 Working Group of Bloomington and scholars for 9-11 truth and justice. He now serves as co-editor of the Journal of 9-11 Studies. His latest book is Another 19, Investigating Legitimate 9-11 Suspects. Today we discuss Rudy Giuliani and the World Trade Center, Dwayne Andrews and SAIC, and Porter Goss and the cover-up. Kevin Ryan, welcome. Thank you, Bonnie. You begin your chapter, Rudy Giuliani and the World Trade Center, by mentioning the fact that Giuliani gained national notoriety from the events of 9-11, that his approval rating shot up to 79% from 34%, and that, in fact, he was named Man of the Year by Time magazine in 2001. What can you tell us about his family background, ties to the mob, and his early work history?
2: Well, uh Rudy's father was uh um, convicted of robbery um and then sent to uh, Sing Sing prison. And uh that's that's well known and also the fact that he afterward uh worked for a mafia loan shark operation. Rudy's uncle on his mother's side, his mother's brother also worked for a loan shark operation and uh, their son uh his uncle's son was uh, said to be a stone-cold gangster. So it's clear that Rudy's family had a lot of uh, ties to the mob, and that was clear uh, given some other folks that worked with Rudy uh, in the years, even when he was mayor of New York City. But Uh, Rudy, like uh, Dick and Don, Dick Cheney and Don Rumsfeld, he got off to a very quick start in the politics of certain things. And he, at the age of 29, he graduated from law school and he was appointed right away as uh, being in charge of the cases, the enforcement of the Nat Commission investigation of police corruption in New York City. And and for some reason, the... uh, The indictments and the convictions didn't end up in the corruption actually being reduced. It actually continued, in particular, drug-related corruption. But um, whether or not Giuliani was uh, seen as doing a good job there or not, he was appointed shortly after that to be Associate Deputy Attorney General in the Ford administration, reporting to Deputy Attorney General Harold Tyler. So uh in that role he was uh, basically mentored by Harold Tyler who was a very powerful man and uh he was also even at that time warning about domestic terrorism and recommending uh that intelligence uh, collection policies be relaxed so Rudy was on board right away with a lot of these folks who worked in the Ford administration at a very young age. And, uh, in the Reagan administration when he was only 37, he was appointed to the third highest position in the Department of Justice, uh, the Associate Attorney General, where he was responsible for overseeing the Department of Corrections and the Drug Enforcement Agency. And that's interesting because back then uh, the Drug Enforcement Agency was uh, involved with uh, helping uh, the CIA run uh, cocaine into the United States to fund the Nicaraguan Contra effort. This was reported by Gary Webb, the journalist. But uh, Rudy then, uh, as the man in charge of the Drug Enforcement Administration, would have uh, had some complicity in all of that. And uh, so he had a very interesting background in the Justice Department. And uh, I do know that while he was there, he he also chaired a committee that... uh, gave oversight to the government's use of a software called Promise, which has a lot of uh, interesting implications to 9-11. It was once used by Oliver North to uh, track terrorist threats. Basically, it was a database. Promise uh, was a database. And uh, that's interesting, given that uh, British Foreign Secretary Robin uh, Cook, after 9-11, said that that's what al-Qaeda means. Al-Qaeda actually means database. Uh, according to Robin Cook, and uh, so this Promise software, being a database tracking terrorist threats, is very interesting. And there's been a lot of comments about this uh, software, and so Giuliani's connection to that is very intriguing. I'd say.
0: And then, of course, uh, you mentioned in your book that journalist uh, Daniel Casalero was investigating with regard to the Department of Justice and Promise software as well, and. He uh, reached an untimely end, didn't he?
2: Yes, he did. Um, much like Gary Webb, um, it was said that Danny Casolaro committed suicide, but his family didn't believe it, and the, ev- the evidence points to murder. But uh, Danny Casolaro was an independent journalist who was investigating a wide-ranging criminal uh, enterprise that involved promise and involved organized crime. Uh, the Bank of Credit and Commerce International, which was the uh, well-known terrorist financing network um, led by the CIA and some oil-rich countries in the Middle East. And uh, Giuliani was involved in all of these things, organized crime, oversight of promise, oversight of the enforcement actions for the Bank of Credit and Commerce International, BCCI, um you know, and all this stuff kind of wrapped into uh I think Castellaro called it the octopus he uh, he called it this it was this criminal network that somehow was involved in a in number of things that you know circumvented democracy and had to do with drug running and just breaking the law in a widespread way um, so Giuliani was touching in his career all of these things promise b c c i organized crime um as far as promise went, uh, the Justice Department, when Giuliani worked there, actually illegally distributed the Promise software to foreign governments. So Giuliani being you know in charge of the oversight of the Promise Committee while this Justice Department was uh, illegally distributing this software, which ended up being an espionage software as well. Uh, when it was installed in in embassies and foreign governments it would capture data and and send it back to the united states in a covert way so um Giuliani was appointed US attorney for the southern district of new york and you know this is when he started gaining notoriety because um uh, he was said to be tough on white collar crime and he was also often photographed uh, busting these uh uh big shots maybe and he he uh led the enforcement actions against Ivan Bosky and and Michael Milken, for example, insider trading Wall Street figures. And he's often often handcuffing these mob bosses as well, and business leaders. On, and then later, what people don't know is that Giuliani would drop the charges quietly. His office would never actually prosecute these people. He would just make a big show out of it, which is, Uh, Again, related to 9-11 in that, it's clear that Giuliani gained primarily um, this political fame from 9-11, which is what he really sought throughout his career more than anything
0: else. And then subsequently, BCCI uh, became a client of Rudy Giuliani's law firm, right? That's exactly right, and
2: in this book I make uh, clear that there there are quite a few connections to BCCI and these alternate suspects. But Giuliani, as you said, he oversaw the enforcement actions against BCCI when it was shut down and, and uh, the crimes were laid bare. And then he went to work for White and Case, which is a major law firm in New York City that had BCCI as one of its clients. They represented BCCI, and Giuliani worked for that firm. When he was um, running for mayor of New York City the first time, um, it was revealed that his firm had represented bcci as well as manuel norviega the panamanian dictator who at the time was seen as a bad guy despite the fact that he was clearly uh... uh working in partnership with george hw bush and uh... had been and um, author Russ Baker made a lot of interesting uh, points about that relationship, but Giuliani seems to have been a deep state operative, or at least connected very closely to a lot of deep state operations over the years, and BCCI being one of them.
0: Now, on September 11th, 2001, uh, Rudy Giuliani, of course, was mayor of New York City. Did Rudy Giuliani and his staff at World Trade Center 7 have foreknowledge of the collapse of both Twin Towers and World Trade Center 7?
2: Yes, they in fact did have... uh Foreknowledge. And, and uh, so I tried to track this down a little bit, but Giuliani um, stated very clearly that he was in the World Trade Center uh, complex at the time. He told Peter Jennings of ABC News afterward that he was told beforehand that the towers were going to collapse. Which is interesting because none of the fire chiefs or the building professionals ever thought that those towers were going to collapse beforehand. It had never occurred before, and uh, pointedly, no such thing has ever occurred since a building has never suffered global collapse from from fire. But yet Giuliani was told that was what was going to happen, and um, you know he had also Giuliani also told the lie that was repeated um, by Condoleezza Rice and Donald Rumsfeld uh that no one had ever predicted airliner crashes into the World Trade Center. But that was so obviously untrue uh, that Brian Michael Jenkins, a Kroll Associate, for example, one of the suspects in the book, had considered exactly that sort of scenario. And it was widely known they considered airliner impacts. But like you said, uh Giuliani staff uh from the Department of Buildings and engineers from the city were in uh World Trade Center Building 7 and uh They were telling people uh, from the fire department um, that uh, the building was going to collapse. Building 7 was going to be taken down. Clearly, there was foreknowledge. um, And one of the people that was involved with it was a deputy director of the OEM, Richard Rotans. Um, And he was behind not only that claim that Building 7 was going to collapse. Now, no one would ever be able to predict this, that Building 7 was going to collapse, given the official account, which is just a very obscure and convoluted story. But um, somehow Rotons knew that. He also claimed that there was a third hijacked plane headed for the area, which was the alleged reason that the OEM was evacuated that morning.
0: And what was Rudy Giuliani doing on the day of uh, September 11th? And what was going on in the lobby of the North Tower?
2: Well, Giuliani was, uh, for the most part, uh, wandering around the site of the World Trade Center. You know, happened to be there, I guess, uh, on that morning. And uh, with him was uh, his fire commissioner and his police commissioner, Bernard Carrick, who's a very interesting person. We may have mentioned him. Earlier, because Bernard Carrick went to Iraq to work for uh, Paul Bremer during the occupation. But Carrick was the New York City Police Commissioner, and uh, Carrick and and Giuliani were were walking around. Um, They moved away from the danger. In every case, they were not brought into any immediate danger. But um, the director of the Office of Emergency Management for the city, the OEM, uh, was Richard Shearer, and he was in the lobby of the North Tower, as you said, with a a number of high-level government employees, and um, that would include John Odoman of of the OEM and and, uh, some people from the the Intelligence Division of the New York City Police Department. So uh, Shearer and these people were just hanging around in the lobby of the North Tower while the towers were burning, but nobody knows what they were really doing there. Um, They were, of course, supposed to be in the Office of Emergency Management in Building 7, Um, but like I said, that building was evacuated. Shearer never went to the OEM at all, and that's one thing the 9-11 Commission couldn't figure out why Shearer would not go to his own uh, command center in the middle of an emergency that was built exactly for this sort of crisis. They just hung out in, in, in the lobby of the North Tower, and uh, luckily for them, apparently, they were able to get out of the way before the building came down. That was the second building that collapsed, though, of course. But what Giuliani did is he was able to avoid danger almost entirely, and he and uh, Carrick wandered around the outskirts of of the area. and. Giuliani happened upon, just very coincidentally, uh, his personal biographer, who happened to have a cameraman with him, uh, somebody who'd written a very flattering biography of Giuliani. Uh, Giuliani just ran into him in the middle of this crisis. And that's what led to this series of um, Johnny on the Spot uh, uh, interviews with Giuliani during the crisis, which, which made him out to be this great hero and decision-maker is almost as if these people knew uh, to be ready to have Giuliani presented in such a way because it's just too convenient otherwise.
0: I'm speaking with chemist, research scientist, and author Kevin Ryan. Today's show, Another 19, Part 5. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. And then after the buildings uh, were demolished, Who was in charge at Ground Zero, and uh, who was Richard uh, Tomasetti?
2: Well, uh, Richard Tomasetti is uh, half of of the leaders of of a company called Thornton and Tomasetti, and his partner, Charles Thornton, was one of a small group of engineers that had been asked to investigate uh, terrorism over the years. He was one of the four who uh, investigated the Oklahoma City bombing, for example, and then he became a member of the NIST Advisory Committee for the World Trade Center. But his partner, uh, Richard Tomasetti, was the man who was ultimately said to have made the decision to recycle all the
0: steel from
2: ground zero. Now, if people don't remember, the fire engineering community and the victims' families were outraged, at the destruction of the evidence at at ground zero and the speed with which Giuliani pressed everyone to get the evidence of the debris out of the area, just move it as quickly as possible. But uh, Thomasetti made this decision, he said, to uh, recycle all the steel and he made some uh, weak claim later that that if he had known where the investigation was going to go uh, he would have made a different decision, but I can't imagine what he thought the investigation was going to be about. The destruction of the buildings was an unprecedented event and, and three times over really before any of the investigation got to ground zero, as the uh, U.S. House Committee on Science reported. The most important steel evidence was removed from the site and shipped away to be recycled, and, and Tomasetti was was behind that.
0: In addition to Tomasetti, five main construction companies were hired to remove debris. You write that the subcontractors were mainly mafia companies. A lot of these subcontractors linked to organized crime were hired by general contractor AMEC Corporation. Where have we heard of AMEC before?
2: Well, AMEC, as you said, is there were five companies, but really two of them were were the primary uh, leaders of the cleanup. And AMEC was one of those two, the other being Bovis Lendlease. They were both huge British conglomerates, and they were both uh, strongly connected to the oil and gas industry and also strongly connected to certain Middle East countries, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and Kuwait. They had all done work in those countries. In fact, AMEC, the lead company who had hired all these mob subcontractors to clean up Ground Zero, um, had worked extensively with Saudi Aramco, which is a Saudi national government oil company. But we heard of AMEC before because AMEC had an amazing series of connections to 9-11 with regard to the Pentagon, where AMEC had... Um, just finished the construction of the very spot where Flight 77 was said to hit that building, just the external wall of one of five wedges, this very small part of the building, which was the focus of the renovation project, and AMEC was in charge of that. And then after the Pentagon uh, attack, they were hired to clean up and then rebuild that Pentagon section, and they were also in charge of the debris removal at Ground Zero within hours after the attacks, they were they were in charge of the debris removal and also in charge of managing the barges that the steel was shipped away on. And the reason AMEC becomes even more interesting is it was led by a fellow, uh, a colleague of Donald Rumsfeld. They had been fellow directors at a company called ABB for many years. So this man's name was Peter Jansen, and uh, he operated out of Toronto, but he ran AMAC and it seemed to be uh, very interesting that they had so much power over the sites at the Pentagon and the World Trade Center, and yet they have seen uh, very little examination, none in the official accounts at all, and very little uh, from independent investigators as well.
0: And what about Turner Construction? Well, Turner Construction
2: was one of those five companies that was hired to clean up Ground Zero. And uh, There's more to that company because they were actually uh, tenants in the buildings in the North Tower, they occupied the 38th floor, but they were also, as was revealed from a FOIA uh, document released, they were also involved in the fireproofing upgrades in the towers. If uh, listeners remember, the fireproofing upgrades were very coincidentally similar. They matched up almost exactly to the areas of impact, failure, and fire on 9 11. So, of you know, 110 floors in the North Tower, for example, only eight of those floors had been updated fully for fireproofing. Now, those were the exact eight floors. Where the plane hit and where the fire occurred and where the failure was said to have uh, initiated. But Turner Construction is run by uh, Thomas Leppert, who was later uh, mayor of Dallas. And uh, he was also a close colleague of George W. Bush. And they uh, lived only a mile away from each other in Dallas. So Turner Construction is an interesting company to look at. And uh, I think that, you know, other than that, um, the cleanup of Ground Zero being uh, performed by these mob-connected subcontractors who made a ton of money, these mafia subcontractors, gives us the indication that, again, the evidence or the debris at the World Trade Center, um, that needed to be quietly removed, and the people involved needed to be such that they would not say anything about what they saw. And that's what all this mafia connection indicates to me.
0: In your chapter, Dwayne Andrews and SAIC, that is Science Applications International Corporation, SAIC Chief Operating Officer Dwayne Andrews is characterized as the invisible hand behind a huge portion of the national security state, and Dick Cheney as Dwayne Andrews' personal lifelong hero. I would imagine that many people have never heard of Dwayne Andrews before. What is the history of his career?
2: Well Andrews definitely is somebody that people need to know more about, as you said, he was the chief operating officer of Science Applications International Corporation, which is uh known as s a i c and s a i c basically uh, uh lives on terrorism. They have won a record number of government contracts through you know the growing national security state that has come out of the war on terror and they're seen basically as a fraternal twin of the of the CIA. They are a company that gains the most from the outsourcing of intelligence, which has just become uh, something that is out of control, frankly. Most top security clearances in the United States are given to uh, people working for uh, SAIC and companies like that. But Andrews ran that company, and that company had so many connections to nine eleven, which we'll go through. But as you said... His background is very closely connected to Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney was his personal hero, and they worked together for many years. This was after uh, Andrew's service in the U.S. Air Force, where he was an intelligence officer and a special operations soldier. He came back from Vietnam and continued to work in in the intelligence community and then was named a staff member for the U.S. House Intelligence Committee. That's where he started to work with not only Dick Cheney, but also Lee Hamilton, those are the two men who led the U.S. House Intelligence Committee in the 80s. and uh, Lee Hamilton was the vice chairman of the 9-11 Commission, and he and Dick Cheney are close personal friends. but during that time that you know being part of the US House intelligence committee they were all given uh, privileged information about the CIA's off-the-books operations. And so they would have learned about the CIA's collaboration with BCCI, the terrorist financing network. They would have learned about um, Iran-Contra crimes and the drug funding behind that. And, and all those things would have been uh, things that these men shared uh, intimate knowledge of. And uh, shortly after that, Andrew's um, when Dick Cheney became Secretary of Defense in the in the first Bush administration, um, he appointed Andrews as his Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence. And uh, this was a very important time for uh, the the evolution of the Defense Intelligence Agency and the operations that were going on uh, at that time uh, contributed to the the false information that led to the Gulf War. So if people don't remember, the first Gulf War was initiated um, by claims that the Saudi border was being overrun by Iraqi troops. Satellite imagery, Russian satellite imagery, showed that there was a huge buildup by Saddam Hussein on the Saudi Arabian border. Dick Cheney and, and Dwayne Andrews, his assistant, used this what turned out to be false information, to get the Saudi Arabians to agree to have uh, American troops stationed in Saudi Arabia and brought them into this this war um, that they would launch then shortly thereafter. But Andrews, therefore, he was over the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, and that's where that information came from. And Andrews left the Pentagon and ultimately after the Bush administration to join SAIC and uh, rose to become its chief operating officer for the entire company at a time when there were some interesting people working there and they had just an incredible number of links to the things that ultimately happened on 9-11.
0: And what about the corporation SAIC? You have described SAIC as a private business that cannot be distinguished from a permanent form of government. What does SAIC do for the U.S. government?
2: Well, SAIC does almost everything for the intelligence community. At the time that Dwayne Andrews ran SAIC, they were building the databases that tracked and identified alleged terrorists. And they were supplying U.S. airports with terrorism screening equipment. Uh, They were investigating terrorist attacks against U.S. infrastructure, including at the uh, 1993 World Trade Center bombing. The interesting thing about that, and they did ultimately uh, give the analysis that led to the official account of that 1993 World Trade Center bombing, but they had just a few years earlier done a World Trade Center evaluation, SAIC had, and basically had predicted the exact attack that occurred in the basement of those buildings. Um, If that wasn't enough, uh, SAIC uh, contributed the largest number of non-government employees to the NIST World Trade Center investigation after 9-11. Um, they did a lot of research on high-tech military equipment, and they did uh, a lot of work for the Air Force for air security. As I said, they had the largest number of government contracts of any company. They were very focused on national security and intelligence and kind of a, an opportunity for, as other companies have been, an opportunity for this revolving door situation where people will work in government, then they'll go work for a company like SAIC, and they will take charge of the policies that they had already put in place as government employees. They would uh, make money from them. So um, that's what SAIC does. It's, it's a primary part of what people would call the military-industrial counterterrorism complex.
0: I'm speaking with chemist, research scientist, and author Kevin Ryan. Today's show, Another 19, Part 5. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Who were Dwayne Andrews' fellow SAIC board members?
2: Well, there were a lot of uh, CIA leaders that worked for SAIC uh for example, former Deputy Director Bobby Ray Inman and former CIA directors Robert Gates and John Deutsch, all those men worked for for SAIC. Uh Donald Kerr, who was uh later a CIA leader. But uh not only that, but uh, there were people like uh Stephen Hatfield who was accused of uh of being the anthrax attack um, perpetrator. He was an SAIC employee, Jerome Hauer, who was the director of New York City's OEM. He left not long before 9-11, but he worked for SAIC at the time. You know, there are a lot of uh, high-level intelligence leaders and military leaders working for SAIC along with Dwayne Andrews.
0: You mentioned SAIC, Vanel Corporation, and Booz Allen Hamilton as having essentially built the Saudi military.
2: Yeah, it's interesting that the Saudi, you know, the Saudi government just hired these American companies to totally build its uh, military and uh, work very closely intimately with its intelligence services, but SAIC uh trained the Saudi Navy um and brought a lot of Saudi military personnel to its own he- uh headquarters in San Diego. And people may remember a number of the alleged hijackers came to San Diego as well. And Vanel Corporation, which was a Carlisle group subsidiary, one of the two main Carlisle group subsidiaries, was uh at the same time training the Saudi Arabian National Guard. And Booz Allen Hamilton, which is uh, linked to the uh, NSA uh spying on American scandal, was managing the Saudi Marine Corps. So basically These three companies had built and were running the Saudi military. Again, people should remember that 15 of the 19 alleged hijackers were said to be Saudis. And there's so many connections to Saudi Arabia in 9-11 from uh, the ambassador's wife allegedly funding some of the hijackers to our intelligence community leaders, George Tenet and Louis Freedling, on a very close personal basis with Prince Bandar, who, who at the time was the ambassador to the United States. So um, SCIC was strongly connected to Saudi Arabia as well.
0: You say that Dwayne Andrews built and secured the Defense Information System Network and its secret component. What is that?
2: Well, the secret component of the Defense uh, Informations Network was the SIPRnet, S-I-P-R-net. And uh, basically it was a secret military internet that was supposed to have uh, the most up-to-date information on threats to the United States at any given time. And Dwayne Andrews was behind creating this SIPRnet. He was probably the leading expert on the defense communication systems that failed on, on 9-11, and the supernet was one of those. The CPRNet did not have any information about the attacks as they were proceeding. Um, this really brought a lot of honest intelligence community people out of the picture on 9-11. But as well as that, there were a lot of communications problems in the Defense Department. The National Military Command Center uh, had conference calls that... People could not connect to, or they were repeatedly dropped from, like the FAA was dropped from the NMCC's uh, conference calls. And, uh... you know, the President, uh, President Bush complained that his communications were very poor. He could not reach any of his uh, key officials. He couldn't reach Rumsfeld. Condoleezza Rice said she couldn't reach Rumsfeld. And all of these things indicated that the normal communication systems for the Defense Department had been compromised somehow. And these are the systems that Dwayne Andrews was an expert on. He had, over the years, served on all the commissions that uh, recommended and then built those uh, systems. And his company, SAIC, was hired to build those systems. But there's one system that um, that did work, and it was called the Special Routing Arrangement Service. It was a secret system that was developed for use with continuity of government, the uh, COG plan that that, uh, Richard Clark implemented on 9-11 and that Clark and and Rumsfeld and Cheney had been preparing to implement for 20 years before this uh, secret routing arrangement service was implemented in an exercise mode that morning and uh, for the first time ever. And it did work, but we don't know exactly who is using it or for what purpose.
0: What about government outsourcing of intelligence work?
2: s a i c was a was a leader in calling for the outsourcing of um of intelligence work and that happened over a period of time but uh, s a i c really became a leader in in securing contracts in which their own employees were given top the top secret clearances and that um if people are uh, have not learned their uh, basically private companies that uh, get the majority of top secret clearances these days, and most people who know the most about us and uh you know know the, have the most access to uh private information are not government employees but are actually private company employees like those from s a i c
0: now is it correct that s a i c went to work with vanel Corporation to train the iraqi military
2: that's right s a i c uh, received quite a few contracts um in Iraq and uh you know rebuilding the infrastructure and so forth. They they worked with Vanel and um not only that, but what was really amazing is after all the systems they had built for the intelligence community had failed in preventing a terrorist attack, they were then given these huge contracts to rebuild those systems and you know that didn't make much sense at all but then after after years had passed you know 5 years later for example they were given this contract for something called the Trailblazer system that was supposed to correct all of the problems with the national security agencies uh, failures They they didn't intercept or they didn't translate certain critical information that would have stopped the attacks. So this trailblazer system was supposed to correct all those things, and SAIC was hired to do that. They spent six years and a and billion and a half dollars, and then the project was just canceled because it didn't work at all. Uh, SAIC was also hired to rebuild the FBI systems, and they they worked on one called Virtual Case File, which was supposed to correct the problem that the 9/11 Commission attributed to the attack uh, success, which was that the FBI and the CIA weren't weren't sharing information closely enough. But again, uh, Virtual Case File was a huge uh, failure as well. It was called the most highly publicized software failure in history. Um, so, SIC took tons of, of of money. There's just billions of dollars from the American public and squandered it and gave us nothing. And so, again, people ought to look at the the leaders of this company because they were profiting from the Iraq War. They were behind uh, a lot of the intelligence that supposedly said there was weapons of mass destruction, and then they profited from the Iraq War. They were behind a lot of the systems that failed on 9-11, and then they profited from 9-11. And the people who led them were very suspicious, including... Uh, Dwayne Andrews.
0: You write that SAIC won major contracts for management of huge IT systems that involved spying on Americans and running the Joint Intelligence Operations Centers.
2: Yes, they they did. And, uh, you know, the SAIC is is basically uh, given no-bid no bid contracts on a regular basis, and they have more information about uh, the American public at least as much information as uh on on all of us as do the uh government agencies that are legally contracted for that sort of work although they 're not none of them are really supposed to spy on the american public but um s e i c uh really is totally involved in these things that frankly a lot of us don 't even know anything about, but this huge i t system uh, that you talked about was for running the joint intelligence operations centers. And, uh, and frankly, none of these things lead us to believe that we are m- more secure from the uh, risk of terrorism, but yet we know we are less secure from the financial outlays we have made that have led to a $17 trillion deficit and companies like SAIC and the Carlyle Group are profiting while the rest of us are not gaining at all.
0: What is Kinetic? Could you describe its activities?
2: Yeah, Kinetic was a um it was a pseudo uh, government agency for the British. The British Ministry of Defence uh, started this company Kinetic that was a lot like the CIA's NQTEL. Um but for some reason a lot of these suspects in this book went to work for Kinetic shortly after 9/11 and one of them was Dwayne Andrews. Uh, another was Stephen Cambone, Rumsfeld's sidekick. Another was George Tenet, the former uh, director of CIA. And and kinetic is very interesting. They uh, they hired uh, so many people that were connected to 9/11, but also they bought up companies that were, uh, I think, suspiciously connected to 9/11. One of them being uh, called Analex, which was previously called Hadron. This is the company that distributed the Promise software in conjunction with Giuliani's Justice Department. So, uh, again, Kinetic and Hadron should be investigated for the possible link to um, a database known as Al-Qaeda that Promise may have had some connection to. But uh, not only that, you know, Kinetic was hired to, more recently, manage the NASA Space Center, uh, Kennedy Space Center. They've given billions of dollars for uh, developing ground systems and launch vehicles and s- spacecraft and managing the payloads and so forth. And that should lead people to wonder, all these people who are suspects in the crimes of 9-11 uh, now having such uh, a strong uh, uh, leadership over the uh, space systems in the United States uh, because there are again, reasons to believe that one day we may see a space Pearl Harbor, and it may be very much like the attacks of 9-11 in that the official account is not uh, substantiated by evidence. And So if we have people like Dwayne Andrews working for Kinetic and and managing the NASA uh, spacecraft and former Stratistec Director James Abrahamson uh, also managing a company called GOI that is related to that, and James Clapper, who recently lied about the NSA spying, working with Stratisec uh, director Abrahamson and DOI. all these space-related companies and these these suspects from nine eleven really need to. We need to keep an eye on them.
0: Why should Dwayne Andrews be investigated for involvement in the crime of nine eleven?
2: Well, in a nutshell, uh, you know. Being Dick Cheney's protege and Dick Cheney being the leading suspect is one reason, but the fact that he was a leading expert on the Defense Department communication systems that failed on 9-11 uh, and the fact that his company created the national databases that tracked and identified as alleged terrorists but that failed to prevent 9-11, a company that had supplied airports across the country with terrorism screening equipment, um, the fact that they provided the official account for the World Trade Center disaster after the 1993 bombing and helped the NIST group do so after 9-11 that they managed the robots used to search the pile at Ground Zero, possibly eliminating explosive evidence, Uh, that they provided the information to capture the alleged mastermind of 9-11, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, that they profited from the war in Iraq as well and gave information that ended up being false about weapons of mass destruction, Andrews was just, I think he's a top suspect in so many ways that circumstantially, of course, but the, the just the extreme amount of this circumstantial evidence is enough to bring a person under suspicion..
0: I'm speaking with chemist, research scientist, and author Kevin Ryan. Today's show, Another Nineteen: Part Five. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. You write about Porter Goss and the cover-up. I always remember Congressman Porter Goss, along with Senator Bob Graham, as the two guys who were having breakfast with Pakistan's head of intelligence on the morning of 9-11. You write that that morning, Goss even shows up at the Pentagon, speaking to reporters minutes after a so-called plane hit the building. Both Goss and Graham have a long history in the state of Florida— who is Porter Goss, and what is his history?
2: Well, Porter Goss is, um, is a career uh, CIA operative. He worked for the CIA uh, for many years in the 60s and 70s as a, actually an, an undercover operative. Um, it was said that he worked for uh, Operation 40, which was an assassination squad. And the reason that that was said And appears to be substantiated is that in uh, his book uh, Barry and the Boys, uh, investigator Daniel Hopsicker published this photograph that was given to him by a drug running CIA operative named Barry Seal. And this photograph shows Porter Goss um, in a in a nightclub in Mexico City with the members of this assassination squad, Operation Forty. So, um, you know, Goss admits that that he was uh, an operative in the area of uh, in Cuba and Mexico for the CIA. He doesn't tell us a lot of, about what he did, but it's clear that he is um he's somebody who uh is a deep state uh, person. He's definitely not just your average uh businessman from Florida. But the reason that um as you said uh, Florida is so interesting is that this is the areas in which Porter Goss was the congressman are the exact areas where these alleged hijackers were training in places like Venice and uh, Charlotte County in Florida. That's those were the areas that Porter Goss represented as a as a congressman, and that's where Muhammad Atta and these other people trained in places like Huffman Aviation and so forth. Um, you know, Goss got into government through the city of Sanibel, which is a Florida island, actually, in a city. And, and he um, actually was given a big boost by Bob Graham, although Bob Graham was a Democrat and Goss is a Republican. For some reason, um, Graham gave um, Goss this big boost by naming him to uh, uh, councils that led him to uh, become county offices and and afterward to let him become uh, a congressman in the end. In
0: 1996, Goss became chairman of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. How did Goss perform in this role?
2: Well, as a member of that committee, uh, Goss um, was conducting political uh, favors, it, it appeared, He oversaw the House Intelligence Committee's inquiry into the uh, drug trafficking supporting the Nicaraguan uh, Contras. And he covered up the CIA's involvement there and and ignored the fact that the evidence that uh, Vice President Bush was involved. So he appeared to be doing political favors instead of actually doing investigations. And after 9-11, it was clear that he was a a big... uh, supporter politically of the Bush family, and uh, was doing favors left and right for George W. Bush.
0: And what about his relationship with Senator Bob Graham? Did the two of them work closely together?
2: Yeah, they had worked closely together uh, for years, and uh, he traveled a month before 9-11 with uh, Bob Graham to Pakistan to meet the president of Pakistan. And um, you know he continued after that to uh meet on nine eleven with Mahmud ahmed, who is the uh general in charge of pakistan's i s i and uh that's interesting because i s i of course um was closely related to b c c i and in fact they were said to be inseparable um the uh pakistan's intelligence service i s i was inseparable from the network of terrorist financing and, and supposed operations called BCCI, But on the morning of nine eleven, according to Graham, they were they were actually talking about terrorism, specifically terrorism uh generated from Afghanistan. They were also talking about Osama bin Laden. And this is amazing. This is, you know, the morning of nine eleven, these two men who ended up leading the joint inquiry investigation in the nine eleven, talking to the man who uh, led the ISI and talking about terrorism and Osama bin Laden. But we wonder if they talked about some of the interesting things that we know now that they knew then. There was an FBI informant, for example, Randy Glass is his name, who, uh, who got information from a Pakistani ISI agent. It was on tape. It's actually available on tape. That... Um, that the towers were going to come down. This was two years before 9-11. And um, this information was, was sent to uh, Graham, um, and Glass said he sent the information. But uh, it's not clear if any of that was followed up on or why, for example, the uh, General Ahmed might have been meeting with these two men, and yet the information not being revealed about the threat to the World Trade Center on the day that it actually occurred.
0: Yes, uh, I have that audio of uh, FBI informant Randy Glass uh, talking about having dinner with Pakistani ISI agent Raja Ghulam Abbas and they're dining in some restaurant and they look he looks up at the towers and says these towers are coming down. So yes, I have that audio. It's actually quite famous. Um Porter Goss led the Joint Congressional Inquiry into 9/11. How did he perform in this role?
2: Well, uh his role appeared to be a cover up role. He made it clear uh, immediately when the inquiry was finally uh, created that they would not be looking for guilt or accountability um, you know, you know he used this kind of vague um, diversionary language about how they were looking for solutions, not scapegoats and really he continued to defend the White House throughout this time, um you know saying that uh, that claims that the warnings the president had received uh, about the impending attack, saying those were all just nonsense. And uh, um, it's just really clear that Goss and Graham together had no intention of revealing anything that would put um, any bad light on Dick Cheney or on the Bush administration. So, you know, not only that, the joint inquiry clearly did not uh look for the truth about nine eleven. An example being that uh FBI informant, um Abdusadar Sheikh, who uh lived with the uh, alleged hijackers in San Diego, Almadar and Al Hazmi, uh was allowed to just uh, avoid any interviews, he was allowed to avoid uh polygraph. Uh he clearly had this Sheikh guy clearly had information about two of the alleged hijackers but instead of um forcing him to testify the joint inquiry was very passive um this this approach really can't be reconciled with the way that other terrorist suspects were handled, like uh, Abu Zubaydah, who was captured in 2003 and tortured extensively. And then years later, we find out through his habeas corpus petition responses that Zubaydah was never connected to al-Qaeda. The 9-11 Commission, uh, frankly, built their story on the torture testimony of people like that. But this guy, Abu Sadar Sheikh, was allowed to just avoid any of it. He's, he was clearly a, an important Saudi. And he had lived with and, and supported two of the alleged hijackers, and the joint inquiry just allowed him to get off the hook entirely.
0: How did Porter Goss lead the way for the deception behind the official account of nine eleven?
2: Well, uh, the co-chairmen, both Goss and Graham, they they exercised what was said to be near total control over the inquiry and they forbade the inquiry staff to speak to other uh... people they uh, the members of the inquiry complained that the uh, co-chairman goss and graham withheld information and and totally controlled the process um, but one of the interesting things is that um you know, the FBI, who was uh, allegedly being investigated by the Joint Inquiry, because the Joint Inquiry's charter was t- very limited, it was really just to examine the FBI and the CIA and their inability to have uh, tracked down and captured the alleged hijackers. But the the uh, amazing thing, uh, one way that Graham and Goss controlled the investigation was they they asked the FBI to investigate joint inquiry panel members who might have leaked information at the time of the investigation. So while these people were supposedly investigating the FBI, Goss and Graham had the FBI investigating them. (laughs) This obviously was not going to lead to any truth or any revelation of facts about what happened on 9-11, the way that these two men were leading the inquiry.
0: What is the significance of hard drives recovered at Ground Zero?
2: Well, uh, I wrote a, an article called uh, Evidence for Informed Trading on the uh, attacks of September 11th. And in this article, I went into this detail uh, as well as many of the other features of 9-11 insider trading. But hard drives were recovered from the World Trade Center. And, uh, and those hard drives um, were reclaimed and recovered by companies like Conbar in Germany, and the the leaders of those companies uh, revealed that the data on those hard drives indicated that uh, vast credit card transactions were occurring in the World Trade Center buildings, transferring huge amounts of money before the buildings and the computers were destroyed. And, and it was said to be what what was called uh, doomsday dealings by this company, Convar, when they finally revealed it. It was not followed up by the nine eleven Commission or the Joint Inquiry.
0: Now, Porter Goss went on to become the head of the CIA. As head of the CIA, was Porter Goss known for blocking investigations?
2: Yes, he was. Um, he was a Bush administration cheerleader, and uh, he was nominated and, and put in the in the position of CIA a leader by Dick Cheney. And he was unwilling to pursue anything that would cause problems with the vice president's office. He he told the CIA when he was made director that their job was to support the Bush administration and its policies. Um, now, one would think that the CIA would be nonpartisan, but that, of course, is not the case. And it certainly was not under Porter Goss. There were senior CIA officers who had opposed the Iraq war, but um, but Goss was strongly in favor of it. And uh, they were essentially telling us afterwards that there were no dissenting opinions allowed when Goss was running the CIA. Basically, he was also known for blocking investigations. He blocked investigations into the Abu Ghraib prisoner abuse scandal and, and into the uh, uh, Bush administration links with the Iraqi Ahmad Qalabi. Anything that the Bush administration wanted to do, he supported. So uh, it turns out that you know this guy who led the first investigation into 9-11, the inquiry, um, really was just uh, a man working for the Bush administration.
0: Well, Kevin Ryan, I want to thank you for writing such a terrific book.
2: Thank you, Bonnie. I really appreciate your time.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. What it is exactly clear.
0: There's a man with over there. I've been speaking with Kevin Ryan. Today's show has been Another Nineteen, Part Five. Kevin Ryan earned a B.S. in chemistry from Indiana University and has worked as a chemistry laboratory manager for many years in Bloomington, Indiana. He is the former site manager for environmental health laboratories in South Bend, Indiana, a division of Underwriters Laboratories, or UL. Kevin Ryan is co-editor of the Journal of 9-11 Studies, which publishes peer-reviewed research and a founding member of Scholars for 9-11 Truth and Justice visit Journal of 911 studiescom that's journal of the numbers 911studies.com many of his articles can be found at ultruth.com that's com. his new book another 19 investigating legitimate 911 suspects can be found at another19.com that's another the numbers 19.com guns and butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner and Yaromako. Mako to leave comments or order copies of shows, email us at blfaulkner at yahoo.com. That's B-L-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at yahoo.com. Or faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. Visit our website at gunsandbutter.org. Hey, Hey yo, these are some
1: serious times that we live in, G. And our new world order is about to begin. Are you ready for the real revolution, which is the evolution of the mind? If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. You dig what I'm saying? Now, if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, then universally we will stand and divided we will fall, because love conquers all. You understand what I'm saying? This is a call for all you sleeping souls. Wake up and take control of your own. With a spirit sniper, trying to steal your life. You know what I'm saying? Look what inside yourself for peace. Give thanks, live life, and release. You dig me? You got me?